Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, growing in faith and friendship. Now, if you were here last week, uh, you would know that the account of Jesus healing the blind beggar Bartimaeus and the account of Jesus showing love to the tax collector Zacchaeus that we read about in Luke chapter 18 and verses 35 all the way through to chapter 19 and verse 10, needs to be read together as a single unit. For both of them, both Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus, are marginalized. But they marginalized for very different reasons. Bartimaeus is oppressed. He is a poor blind beggar. While Zacchaeus is the oppressor. He is a corrupt tax collector. He's exploiting the poor. And what we discover over here is that Jesus shows compassion to both the oppressed and the oppressor. For Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Those who were marginalized, those who were excluded, the outcasts, those who were spiritually poor and knew that they needed help. And you'll also remember from last week that Jesus and his disciples were traveling from up north in Galilee all the way down south to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, that great Jewish festival. And they've just arrived at Jericho. Jericho is the last stop before they hit Jerusalem. And you'll remember how this crowd from, from Jericho had come out to, to meet Jesus, to welcome Jesus, to honor Jesus, and to escort Jesus into Jericho. That was the Middle Eastern cultural way of showing honor and respect to a very important guest. It's kind of similar to the way we will crowd out a, a, an airport when our sports team returns home after winning a great victory. You know how people all rush to the airport, crowd in the airport to welcome them and honor them. And then we read in chapter 19 and verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Okay, so he's, he's not stopping. He's just passing through. I can only imagine that the people in the crowd were just a little disappointed. Imagine a famous celeb coming to Abergavenny. Everyone's out on the street to see them. And then suddenly you notice, oh, he's not stopping. He's just passing through. But hey, at least we got to see him. And we even saw him hitting this blind guy. Result. But not everyone saw him. One guy didn't see him because he was too short. We read in verse 2, A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And so over here we introduce to Zacchaeus, and he's a despised tax collector. Okay, nobody likes to pay taxes, right? But it was a lot worse back in those days because you were paying taxes to Rome. To, to the country that's invaded your country and is currently occupying your country. So you paying taxes to your enemy for the privilege of them ruling over you and oppressing you. I mean, imagine that. And secondly, all tax collectors were known to be corrupt. You see, the Romans needed some local people 
to actually collect the taxes for them. But of course, no one wanted to work for the Romans. So they introduced an incentive. A tax collector had to pay a certain amount to Rome, but they were allowed to charge as much as they liked, and they got to keep the excess. And so they would massively overcharge people. They would squeeze them as tight as they could because they got to keep the excess, the profits. That was the incentive. And we're told that Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. That means he's really good at collecting taxes. That means he's got a whole lot of underlings working for him, collecting the taxes on his behalf and sending him the excess. And we're told that he was wealthy. Now, you don't become wealthy as a tax collector unless you are really very, very ruthless. So this guy has bankrupt a whole lot of people, and then he's repossessed their property and their land. He's taken their, their pension fund. He's taken their, child, their children's college fund in order to pay the tax bill. So he's ripping people off all the while he's sipping champagne and eating caviar. He's living the high life, the life of luxury. He has loads of servants and he's loaded while everyone else is suffering. This is Zacchaeus. He's greedy and he's heartless. But do take note that what he is doing is not illegal but it is sinful. You see, sometimes we can do something that's legal, but it's sinful. It's okay in the eyes of the government, but it's not okay in the eyes of God. Adultery is legal, but sinful. Gossiping is legal, but sinful. What Zacchaeus is doing is legal, but it's sinful. And as a result, no one likes Zacchaeus. He's despised. He's ostracized. He's marginalized. He has been publicly kicked out of synagogue. He's not allowed to go to the temple and participate in the Passover celebration. He's excluded. And because of the shame he would have brought onto his family, his family would have publicly disowned him. No one dares to be his friend because if you his friend, then you too will be publicly kicked out of synagogue and publicly disowned. But we read in verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. He's obviously heard about Jesus and so he wants to see who is this guy. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So we know two things about this guy. He's very, very wealthy, and he's very, very short. I kind of think of the actor Danny DeVito. Very, very short and very, very wealthy. That's Zacchaeus. And so he's too short, so he can't see over the crowd. And so the crowd, just as they had prevented blind Bartimaeus from getting to Jesus, the crowd is preventing Zacchaeus from getting to Jesus. They're forming a barrier so he can't get to Jesus. Now, of course, in that Middle Eastern culture, 
if he wasn't being ostracized and marginalized, a man of his status and wealth, they would have just made way for him and let him walk straight to the very presence of Jesus. Middle Eastern custom requires that. But he's a tax collector. So he's marginalized. He's excluded. And they will not let him through. And he knows that. He knows they will never let him through. So he's only hoping to see Jesus. But he can't even do that. Because he's too short. He can't even see Jesus. He's just like blind Bartimaeus. And so we read in verse 4, So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So he does two things that no self-respecting man would ever do within that culture. He runs and he climbs a tree. It's no man, no grown man in that culture would run. In fact, even today, men don't run. Grown men don't run. Unless we're chasing a ball, we don't run. But in that culture, it was absolutely shameful for a man to run. Especially a wealthy, powerful, dignified, rich man. I mean, just imagine it, lifting up your robe like a little schoolgirl in order to run, exposing your hairy legs. I mean, no one knows where to look. It's just shameful behavior. And then he climbs a tree. No self-respecting, no powerful, rich man, dignified man would ever climb a tree. They, They wouldn't even climb a tree in the privacy of their own garden, let alone out in public. It's too shameful. Yet he runs and he climbs the tree. I mean, he probably needed one of his servants to give him a boost up. But he runs and he climbs the tree. And it's a fantastic story. I mean, how many of you heard this story growing up as a kid? And it's a fantastic story because it's so vivid. I mean, just the idea of Danny DeVito climbing a tree is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, imagine there's a famous celeb coming to coming into Abergavenny, and he's got this massive entourage, and and there's this massive crowd all trying to see him, and you there in the crowd trying to see this this famous celeb, and all of a sudden you look up a tree and you see Alan Sugar up a tree wearing a suit. I mean, it's fantastic, isn't it? <laughs> Verse five. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so despite Zacchaeus' best efforts to to stay hidden behind the long leaves of a, a sycamore fig tree, Jesus spots him and calls him by name. How did he know his name? Perhaps the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. Or perhaps more likely, when the crowd saw Danny DeVito up the tree, they all started pointing and laughing and humiliating him. Look at Zacchaeus in the tree, ha ha! But the big point is Jesus calls him by name. And that's what Jesus always does. He calls us by name. He calls you by name. 
There are billions of people on the earth, but Jesus knows your name. He knows you personally. The Bible tells us that he even knows the number of hairs on your head. For some of you, that's not a lot of work. But he knows you personally. He knows you, and he calls you by name. What's he calling him to? He's calling him to a friendship. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to eat a meal with you. and I'm going to spend the night with you in your house. Now, going to someone's house and eating a meal with them and staying with them in that culture was a big deal. Today, I mean, we will go to anyone's house and eat a meal with them, especially if it means a free meal. But in that culture, it was a big deal. It was an act of friendship. It meant that you accepted them. It meant that you approved of them. Now, wasn't Jesus just passing through? I mean, hadn't he already refused hospitality from other people? Wasn't he already about to leave? So why does he suddenly change his mind? Was it because he saw how the crowd was ostracizing and marginalizing and humiliating Zacchaeus? That suddenly he he changes plans. And there's a real sense of urgency here. It says, immediately... I must stay at your house today, right now. How many people do you think went to Zacchaeus' house for a meal? Not a lot. Not a lot. And if you did, if you were going to go to Zacchaeus' house for a meal, you're not going to post it on your Facebook wall, right? I mean, you're definitely not going to let anyone else know that you're friends with Zacchaeus. But Jesus, very publicly, announces to everyone, I'm going to Zacchaeus' house. From this moment on, I and Zacchaeus, we, we are friends. And we read in verse 6, so he came down at once. And welcomed him gladly. Zacchaeus immediately accepts Jesus' invitation to be a friend with joy. How does the crowd respond? Verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter. They started grumbling. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. They start grumbling, complaining. They're not happy that Jesus is going to Zacchaeus' house. Why? Well, probably because they've already, he's already refused their offer of hospitality, but more so because he's going to the house of a sinner. No self-respecting guest would go to a tax collector's house. And so they grumble about Jesus. They start talking about Jesus. They're not talking to Jesus. You, take, you notice that. They're not talking to Jesus. They're talking about Jesus. They're grumbling about Jesus. 
Some of you call this prayer, right? <laughs> So-and-so is a such and a such. We need to pray for them. Well, have you spoken to them? No. Okay, so you're grumbling and gossiping. See, they don't go up to Jesus and say, look, Jesus, we, we, we don't agree with your leadership. We don't agree with your decision. No. They grumble. They complain. And they gossip. Let me say this. This often happens when God pours out grace. People grumble. Religious people grumble. They complain about the leadership. They complain that we, 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 we're being too accommodating. We're being too accepting of these people and their behavior. They grumble and they complain. And you also realize how smug they're being. They, I mean, they, they really think they're better than Zacchaeus. Well, of course God would love us. Look how lovable we are. And our sins aren't that big. But Zacchaeus... Who would cause you to grumble? Who, if God accepted and showed grace towards, would cause you to grumble? Rowdy teenagers? The person who ripped you off? Who cheated you? Deceived you? Divorced you? Fired you? Lied to you? Who would make you grumble? What? You mean you're just going to let them off the hook? But take note what Jesus does over here. This is important. Jesus shifts the crowd's hostility from Zacchaeus to himself. The crowd is no longer directing their hostility to Zacchaeus. They are now directing their hostility at Jesus. Jesus shows, a, a demonstrates a very costly love and grace, an unexpected love and grace to Zacchaeus. He, he, he offers a, a very costly love and grace to Zacchaeus, who, who was the oppressor. And what we discover over here is that Jesus neither endorses the oppression, the, the, the sin of Zacchaeus, but then nor does he ostracize the oppressor. But rather he shows a very costly love to Zacchaeus. This is a great illustration of what Jesus does for all of us on the cross. He takes all that hostility that our sin deserves and he takes it onto himself so that he can show us a very costly love and grace so that we can experience forgiveness and acceptance, so that we can become friends with Jesus and have a meal with him. Then we read in verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, 
Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Wow. So Zacchaeus promises to make restitution. I mean, he hasn't actually paid anyone back yet, but he sincerely promises to make restitution. And he says, if I've wronged anyone, I will pay them back four times the amount. And, and the poor, I will help the poor. Those are who I have neglected in the past, I will now help. I will give them 50% of my income. Wow. That's generous. But a question. Who are Zacchaeus to do that? No one. No one asked Zacchaeus to do anything. Jesus didn't say, look, Zacchaeus, I've shown you this very costly love, so here's a copy of the Ten Commandments. Read it. Live according to it. Then we can talk about being friends. No. Jesus just accepted him. He just shows him grace and love. He just invites him into a friendship. He doesn't ask anything from Zacchaeus. But when Zacchaeus receives this very costly love and grace, it becomes a life-changing power within him, and it changes him. He becomes a new person. He's no longer greedy, but he is extremely generous. How do you think that grumbling crowd felt at this point? Probably a little embarrassed. So rather than grumbling, just realize that God is still at work in that person. Just wait and see what God is going to do in their life. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. And when Jesus hears this very sincere promise to make restitution... Jesus says, you're saved. You are a son of Abraham. And to be a son of Abraham means that you are part of the true people of God. That God accepts you, that God loves you, that God's forgiven you. You see, we are saved by faith. But in the Bible, we are always judged according to our works. So Zacchaeus is saved by faith. He didn't have to do anything to earn the salvation. Nobody asked him to do anything. Jesus just invited him into a friendship. Jesus just offered him love and grace and acceptance. All Zacchaeus needed to do was accept Jesus' invitation. Jesus found him. All he had to do was accept that he, he was found. But when Jesus hears his very sincere promise to make restitution, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus judges his faith on the basis of his works, the evidence of faith. You see, if you have a real faith, if you have received 
Jesus' very costly love and grace into your life, it will become a very powerful, life-changing force, and you will change. You will become a new person. You will become more and more loving and more and more generous. That's why it's so exciting when we see people come into faith because we just stand back to watch them grow and blossom and then they become more and more loving. They complain less. They grumble less. They become more accepting and more gracious and more forgiving of other people. It's exciting. But if there's no growth, if there's no change, that means you don't have real faith. Now, of course, this is a lot more obvious if someone's come to faith later in life because you can suddenly see a very real and a very sudden change in their life. It's a little harder for those of us who have been followers of Jesus all our life or we've been followers of Jesus for many, many years. But as we look back over our life, we should see a process of us slowly becoming more and more loving and more and more generous and more and more accepting and gracious. If not, then we probably don't have real faith. And if not, the solution is not, well, I better start becoming more generous, I better start giving some more money to the poor, I better start giving more money to the church, and I better start giving more money here, because that's salvation by works. The solution is to hear Jesus call you by name, inviting you into a friendship, inviting you to receive His grace and His love, that costly grace and love. And all you have to do is accept it and allow Jesus' grace and love to pour into your life And allow that to become a very powerful, life-changing force within your life. For Jesus, we read in verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That includes the oppressed like blind Bartimaeus and the oppressor like Zacchaeus. And it includes you, and it includes me. And when we receive that very costly grace and love of Jesus into our life, we simply can't stop ourselves from rejoicing when other people receive it. And we simply can't stop ourselves from sharing it and becoming more and more generous. So a couple of questions for us. Do you need to make restitution? Is there something you've taken that you need to give back? Someone you've wronged that you need to make right with? Is there some sin in your life that you need to deal with? Zacchaeus tolerated sin in his life for many years. Maybe God is calling you to deal with it. Today, do you need to stop grumbling and gossiping? Do you need to be more generous and loving? 
do you need to be found by Jesus? Just reflect on those questions. And the standard follow-up question is always, what is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Reflect on that. Allow God to speak to you. What's he saying? What are you going to do? And then commit that to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. Father, so often we do find ourselves standing in that crowd thinking we sorted, thinking we found, and, and marginalizing and excluding others. And Father, when you break through and you reach out to others, we find ourselves complaining, grumbling. Won't you forgive us? Won't you give us your heart and have a heart for the lost? And Father, we thank you that you came to find us first. Father, let that be such a, a real reality that we know how, how much you love us, how costly your love was for us. That you took all the hostility that our sin deserves so that we could be forgiven. And so, Father, we pray now that by your Holy Spirit, we will be able to go out with that spirit of love and generosity to make a difference in this world. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.